Welcome to Counsel the Word, a podcast of the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. I'm your host, Keith Palmer, and today we're going to be talking about biblical counseling and happiness. Most people seek biblical counseling because there is some challenge or difficulty they are facing. They are disappointed with life in some way. And it's very common to hear a person experiencing affliction say something like, I just want to be happy, or God would want me to be happy. Well, to help us to think about this important and common topic in ministry to others, I'm very grateful to be with Dr. Kevin Carson today. Kevin is the pastor of Sunrise Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri, and professor of biblical counseling at Baptist Bible Theological Seminary in Springfield, Missouri. He is a certified counselor with ACBC and a popular speaker in the biblical counseling world. And I'm also very grateful that Kevin is my friend and brother in the ministry. So Kevin, thank you so much for being with us today. So we're here talking about biblical counseling and happiness. I think this is something that almost everybody can relate to at some point in their life. Uh, How does the Bible help us to understand how to find joy in difficult circumstances? Well, thank you for your invitation today. And I think that this is an issue, especially as a pastor, you understand people talk about, think about all the time. They're interested, how can I be happy? That's right. And as much as I would like for everybody I know to think broader than that and think past their circumstances, it's often uh, an issue that all of us deal with. As counselors, we deal with it, certainly. As people in the pew, they deal with it. In the counseling room, we hear about it. I recently had a, a person been coming to me and talking to me about various circumstances, and they asked the question, why can't marriage be full of happiness? Mm. You know, it seems like God would have put us in circumstances where we would be happy, and it's just gotten me thinking, how do I help this dear friend who wants to be happy and who desires to be happy, but is in a situation that really there doesn't seem to be lots of outward reasons to be happy, a marriage that's difficult? Uh, and possibly for those that are listening today, it could be children that are difficult, marriages that are difficult, a vocation that they would have never chosen or one that they feel like they can't get out of for whatever the reason. And so they look at those very circumstances and they define, they define happiness by that circumstance. And since the circumstance isn't what they hope it would be or hope it could be, uh, they then would say, well, I'm not happy. Right. And so I think... The Bible has a lot to say about it, and we could probably go at this from multiple angles. Right? There's a sense of contentment. That's a big issue. But the passages that I've really been thinking through, primarily in the Psalms, and they start with, blessed is the man. And in the language of the Old Testament, literally you could translate it, oh, the happiness of the person. Mm-hmm. And so I've been just kind of looking at those and trying to wrestle with them and tease out what they're saying and and think through what are biblical principles in my life that if I do these things, it produces happiness. And just to distinguish for the listener the difference, what I would say between happiness and joy, or right, joy is this deep-seated contentment in Christ. It's in who He is. It's in God. It's in His character. It's, there's a sense of trust, which we'll kind of work through some of those passages. Mm-hmm. And so it's a settled feeling that you get, and by feeling, it's just a great sense of, of contentment in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm equating joy and happiness in that way versus happiness, which would be more driven by uh, what I have, what's going on, 
uh, an emotional feeling that I get when life seems to be good. All right. Well, launch us into the text and oh, well, eager to hear about this. Psalm 1, right? We don't go far into Psalms when we pick up the very first one where it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And so that first statement, blessed is the man, literally it's, oh, the happiness of the person who does these things. And so I think the very first thing we could identify, if you truly desire to be happy and have the joy of the Lord, then you would need to delight in the scriptures and abstain from the world. Right There's a, a both and here. Yeah. Right? So it's not just enjoy the Bible, which we hope all of our listeners enjoy the Bible. And I know many people go to them every day for a quick couple minutes read and, and a sense of, of now I feel better because I've read the Bible. But really, the text here is saying either you delight in the Word or you delight in something different. Mm-hmm. And, and the difference would be in the verse 1 where he talks about the counsel, the path, or the seat of this ungodly world around us. And so we have to make a choice at some point. And so happiness depends on one of those early choices of am I going to delight in the world or delight in the Bible? I love this word delight because it it means there's an intrinsic joy that comes from this particular object. And so I think, right, my personal joys, I would have several, but let's just talk about food for a minute. Right there's something about ice cream that has an intrinsic joy in my life, right? So if somebody says to me, would you like to have ice cream? They really don't have to ask that question. They just need to ask what kind of ice cream or this is what we have and give me the options because right. I've found very few days in my life where I don't want ice cream, right? It's just something fun. It's There's something delightful in the ice cream process. We we grew up in Kentucky, and our family often would make homemade ice cream, and so we would get all the relatives together. And so when somebody mentions homemade ice cream, it could be any time of the day. You could say, do you want it for breakfast or supper, or <laughs> do you want that to be our meal? Yes. Right. And everybody's just satisfied to enjoy that homemade ice cream, not because the process is easy, because it's not really easy to make it, and not necessarily because the, the flavor is the flavor that you prefer the most. It's the process, the flavor, the time that you spend to it. There is a delight in the people that you share it with so that it draws you. So that when somebody says, let's get together on a holiday, one of the first questions would be, so who's making the ice cream and when are we going to do that? It's, there is a delight in it. And so in Psalm 1-2, he says, his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. Right. So there is a sense in which... The Word of God itself has an internal, intrinsic delight that draws us. Now, for the person who does the quick five-minute read, I think one of the key components, the difference between doing five minutes and not really having a sense of it delights, I think is in that second part of the verse when it says, uh, in his law he meditates day and night. Right? It's, it's the meditation. Uh, I often uh, compare meditating to worry. Right? Most of us have worried over something. And at times, maybe it's the dominant feature of our mind over an entire day or group of days where we're thinking about circumstances, we're thinking about the players, we're thinking about the what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. And so it's us and the circumstance, and that's what entertains our mind. I think this sense of meditate, If so if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Right. But instead of the object 
being the circumstance in us, now we take time to think about God, His character, what the Bible says, and compare that to our circumstance and even to our own heart so that God becomes the center of that thought or we have Jesus as the center of that thought. So, And, and that may help the person who says, you know, Kevin, I, I read my Bible every day, but it's just I'm still struggling with joy. It may be that they're not getting into that meditation part where that taste and see the Lord is good sort of right. cultivation of, of that intrinsic joy that's there, but they're just not... Um, meditating on it and digging into the character of God to a degree that they can actually experience that joy. Right. It's not something... I Sometimes I say it this way. It's a little bit fuzzy, uh, but I try to encourage counselees to enjoy the presence of God, specifically the presence of Christ. Now, we know we have the Spirit. God is everywhere. Uh, but I think one of the joys of the Great Commission passage in Matthew 28 is at the end of it when Jesus says, and lo, I am with you always. And when you look through the Old Testament, it seems like everywhere God wants to benefit people or to especially help them in worry and fear, it seems like he often says, I'm going to be with you. Mm -hmm. So go in fear, go courageously, because I will be with you. And I think Christ is, and often we don't, we don't contemplate that, meditate on it, think about it. Uh, probably a good reason, you know, the gospel primer is just a great little resource uh, that I would commend to people. Um, Probably one of the things I love most about that is it just gives you a bite-sized piece, mm -hmm. right? I would hope that over time, your listeners and and all of those that we engage would be able to pull that out of the Bible themselves. But initially, the primer just gives them a bite-sized piece of the gospel that they can think about, contemplate, right? Jot a note or two, keep it in their pocket. That's uh, Milton Vincent, the gospel right. primer, right? Yeah. yeah, just spend some time in that every day. Mm -hmm. Because they're in the gospel. And in that meditation, what the text is saying, that the delight of that is what keeps drawing you. And then verse 3 says, that person will be like the tree that's planted by the water, that in the middle of the summer, in the middle of the heat, it's still going to produce, it's still going to do everything that God intends for it to do. So if we're caring for somebody that's struggling with joy, struggling with happiness, um, maybe one of the first places that you're telling us we need to investigate is how's their time in the Word, and, and not just quantity, but quality, right? What does it look like? Are they getting sure. to this level? What are they thinking about? What, they're, what are they contemplating? When they do think about their circumstance, uh, how are they interpreting that circumstance? Where does, what, are the, what are they thinking specifically? What are they wanting? And compare that to the Word that they're meditating on. That's good. So helpful. Very good. I think there's a second thing that's similar to it, but I, but I don't want to miss it. And I'm going to just jump over to Psalm 112 uh, for this one. In Psalm 112, it is it commends us on a multiple in multiple ways. Psalm 111 and Psalm 112 together. Uh, but in Psalm 112:1, it says, "Praise the Lord! How blessed is the one who obeys the Lord." who takes great delight in keeping his commandments. And so I'd say the second principle when we think about what are the ingredients to true happiness, here it would be the one who obeys and delights in obeying. Hmm. I think sometimes, if again, if you're like me as a person or the listener, for sure I hear counselees say this, is that the act of obedience isn't delightful. Because they're struggling in their own heart with wanting their own way, things aren't going their direct their way. The, they're not very content. Uh, in the process of that, 
at the end of the day, they're not delighting in obedience. Hmm. And so, you know, it's one of those parenting issues. We work with our own children. How do we help them think through these things? And how do we help them take steps toward not just obeying, but delighting in obeying? Mm -hmm. And here it's clear. He says, oh, the happiness of the one who obeys the Lord. It's maybe it, it would be like the uh, prayer Jesus did, uh, not my will, but your will be done. Right? It's that daily continual sense that the very best thing for me to do is obey the Lord. I know sometimes in our circles, people use this statement. There's two options on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Right in the middle of making that hard choice, you're choosing sometimes what feels like the hard way. Uh, but over time, it brings delight because life is simpler. Uh, there's less pressure. And not because the circumstances have changed, but because you're not taking an already hard circumstance and making it more difficult because you've complicated it with sin. Hmm. Yeah, and so sense. the joy, I, th I think of First uh, John chapter 1, the joy of fellowship in Christ is obedience. The, that's the pathway towards that joy. It's walking in the light as he is in the light. And we don't just have fellowship with him, but we have fellowship with each other. And so I think that's one of the reasons John makes it so clear. If you sin, you can confess your sin and he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from that unrighteousness because it takes a pathway cluttered full of the complications of living for my own way and living to please myself. And it clears those complicate clears that the the impediments to fellowship so that I can have fellowship. And I think that's where the psalmist is saying, in the midst of life, we can have joy when we obey because there isn't anything between us and the Savior. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's helpful because I think in our fallenness, we deceive ourselves into thinking that the path to joy is what I feel like doing or what, what might be the easiest or might bring the most comfort. And yet what you're saying from the text is that that's deception. It's, it's obedience, it's fearing the Lord that may be harder on the front end and more difficult, but like you said, it leads to righteousness and blessing and happiness and, and is not further complicating the problem by introducing more sin. Sure. It's the, it's the empty promise that sin is enjoyable for a season. Hmm. Uh, but yet, I think, I love Psalm 32 when it talks about the benefits of forgiveness. And the, the more we walk and enjoy forgiveness, which includes obedience, the easier... Uh, life is going to be. And again, not easier because our circumstances change, but easier because we're, we are enjoying or we are having joy to be obedient, mm -hmm. even when it's difficult. That's good. So those are, those are great passages. Um, how do you, if, if someone's listening to this and they say, okay, I get it, I understand scripture meditation, being in the word, delighting in the word, and delighting in obedience and fearing the Lord, how would you take somebody and, you know, pastorally or in a counseling setting and just help them to flesh that out into a day-to-day -day process? What, what sort of instruction would you give to somebody who would want to see that played out day-to-day? -day? Sure. I think, I think I would begin with saying let's start one place, right? Because if we look at life, we may have 35 places that need right. to be adjusted and places where we're not honoring God. And it could be anything from... Uh, anything from what Jerry Bridges would call a respectable sin, which just prop up everywhere, uh, or it could be something that's significant. And so even as we talk right now and you and I say, well, we start with one sin, possibly the listener immediately has a burden of, yes, this is my sin. And so I would think that the best place to start would be just one place. 
and probably when we talk about meditating in the scriptures, find a couple of key passages, right? One that identifies what the sin looks like. One of the one of the issues uh, related to sin, I think, is sometimes we we miscategorize it. We think of it as a weakness. We think of it as a mistake. We we have these words that we use that minimize the the guilt of it. Mm-hmm. Randy Patton once told me he said uh, sometimes we have to build the guilt so that it helps motivate us toward more godliness. So I think a passage. I would really wouldn't. I don't think you need a lot, but just at least a passage to keep before you that just recognizes the ugliness of sin. This thing that I'm choosing to do to please myself costs Christ his life, and this is a significant issue, and it it hinders my fellowship with the Lord. So I think that's a good passage to find. I think another passage would then be more of what we would call a gospel-centered passage, where we find a passage that clearly identifies because of who Christ is, and we are in Christ. This is the new position we have. This is what our heart should be desiring. This is what our goal should be. And this is why. So anything like 2 Corinthians 5 where it says the love of Christ now motivates me. It controls me so that I'm thinking the right thing. So it puts me in the right mindset. Um, and then the third component in terms of the kind of passage to pick would probably be a passage that identifies. So then if I put off this sin, what does righteousness truly look like? And I, I think the goal there would be as specifically as possible, concrete, something that I can measure at the end of the day. Where did I do well? Where did I not do well? To be able to think through some self-counsel issues of, you know, where, the, where are my greatest weaknesses? Mm-hmm. Um, and then probably pick a friend to talk to and to regularly keep in that conversation. So I would think that might be a first step. Don't be overwhelmed by how much sin you have because there's sin everywhere. And I, I love Psalm 19 where David says, uh, forgive me for these sins that are, are out there and that I'm specifically choosing against you. Uh, but on the other side, he also says, uh, forgive me for my secret sins. Those things where the motivation's wrong, there's and again, I would not to just keep mentioning other people, but David Pallison one time, I, I was visiting with him, and he said that he thinks sometimes sanctification is like playing the video game, right? So when you begin to play a video game, and I'm not a gamer, so this is, <laughs> I'm outside of my field totally here. But when you play a game, I do know this from the Atari in the 80s, so I do understand this much of it. Level one initially seems difficult, but you get past just a couple of the things, and you get past level one, it takes just a little bit of effort. You get to level two, three, four. You're still playing the game, but at each new level, there's that much more difficulty. Mm-hmm. And I think sanctification is a similar way, is in a similar way, which is what Dave was talking about. Level one, sometimes there are issues that have plagued us our whole life and things that we get out of, we get put off. And then as we continue, we find that life, there's that many more sins. And once you get the big things out, then you start to see all these other little things that uh, distract. It's kind of like going out into the country. Uh, you know, I, I live out in the country, and we've we've talked about various things y'all like to do and we like to do. And so when you go out in the country at night, uh, when you get away from the city 
and you take away the light, and maybe it's a street light in your, at your particular place or just a couple of lights around the neighborhood, when you get away from those big lights, what you see is the heavens are full of lights, hmm. these lesser lights and the Milky Way, and it's such a gorgeous sight. But you never see those until you get the big light out. And so I think sometimes when a counselee is trying to wrestle with, with just a sin, when you get that sin out, then it opens the door to see, oh, boy, there's, there's lots of manifestations of the flesh. And so I would say that would be a good place. Start with one sin, pick mm-hmm. a couple key verses, and then move forward. That's good. That's, that's very helpful. What are, what are some passages that you particularly have found helpful that minister to your heart when you're finding yourself in that place of discontent or discouragement? Mm. Uh, what are some passages that have just ministered to your soul in those situations? I think that's a, that's a good question. I would think one, another passage that speaks specifically to this happiness would be Psalm 146, 5, right? It says, the person is happy, is blessed when their hope is in the Lord. Hmm. You know, I think uh, Romans chapter 5, the first several verses, it's hope that won't be ashamed. It's, it's hope that at the end, you'll recognize, man, I put my hope in the right place. All right? And so I think there's lots of things that steal our hope. So we play, it's the object of our hope. First Peter chapter 1, it's just that sense that when we hope in Christ, we've, and I think that's in the first, like verses 3 through 5, we put our hope in the exact right place, and God honors that. And we, it's an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled. It won't fade away. Right? It's a hope because God preserves us. He's the, he keeps us. It's reserved in heaven. And so I think sometimes we have misplaced hope. And so when you say what are one of the passages that's helpful to me is I look around life and I say, well, was my hope in success in this particular project? Or was my hope in that marriage is perfect? Uh, right? So if we, put that, if we put that expectation on anybody, it, our hope is going to be disappointed because no one can be perfect. And maybe it's in a church that disappoints or a church a friend in the church who disappoints. And so I think, right, the, so to answer your question, what's a passage that's helpful to me? Well, it probably depends what's stealing my joy or what's stealing my hope in that moment. And, I, and so I go to the scriptures and say, ah, here's one of those places where I, am, I have true joy when my hope is in the right place. Uh, so that would be one of several probably. And often those those disappointments, those negative emotions, if, if we trace them back in our hearts, we find what our heart is really clinging to for hope, right? Mm. So, you know, to evaluate your own heart based on a text like that and say, is my hope in the Lord or is it in something else? That's very, very good reminder, and that definitely gets to the heart of it right away. And it's so easy to let it be in something else. I disappoint myself daily. So. <laughs> well, you're here in good company. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, Kevin, this has been so good. Our, our time is is coming to a close. Um, what other ways does the Scripture help us to think about this issue of finding joy and happiness in the midst of discouragement? Well, those are a lot of passages that our listeners can go to, and there's still plenty more on my sheet here, and that's for another day. Uh, let me just point you toward one more passage, and that's in John chapter 15. In this passage, Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's It's moments before he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, it's within hours of his death. So when you think about, when I think about this conversation, I think of it as this is the person who's drawn his followers, those that he loves, close to himself. And he's given them, here are the things you need to think about. 
last words on your mind before I go through this horrible process of death on the cross. And in that, he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I'm challenged because Jesus has said to them, abide in me. And he's talked about the Father, the branches, the whole sense of abiding. And here's my challenge. I often tell people that their joy needs to be in the Lord. And Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so we think about Jesus Christ as ultimately the one who brings us joy. But it, And that's all of what we might call vertical. But there is a horizontal component when it says, and this is my commandment. When he says, I've spoken these things that you'll have joy, he says, and this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's a challenge because I creatively find ways, as we talked about a minute ago with the ice cream, I creatively find ways to love myself. I find ways to serve myself. And and sometimes I often think I am not as creative as I could be, but then I think about all the various ways that I find time to do the things I want. Uh, and so in that process, I challenge myself to say, so is there, is there a way that I can quit looking internal and serving myself and instead look external? Enjoy Christ, but also love and enjoy serving other people. And joy will always increase. Because if my motivation is to love Jesus and serve people as someone who loves Jesus... Whatever the circumstance is, my joy is going to increase. I have a dear, dear friend now for almost two decades. Uh, one of my first counselees uh, back back when I was early on in ministry. So it's been probably over two decades when I think about it. Uh, but this particular person going through a horrible circumstance in marriage. And she determined, based on John 15, that the best thing I could do is not dwell on my circumstance, but instead take my little kids that now I'm alone parenting and take those kids and teach them to love and serve other people. Mm. And so she did. And I've watched it now for a couple of decades as those kids are now grown. And she, with those kids, babysat people, served people, allowed other couples to go do things while she took care of their children. She turned a circumstance that was much, much, much less than perfect, a circumstance full of suffering. And she had joy in the midst of it because she had joy in Christ and the love that she had for Christ turned, so as it says here, that she could love other people. And that incredibly changed her entire, really the projection of her life and certainly the sense of joy. So good. That's very encouraging. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for taking a few minutes here. Uh, you know, we are recording this in uh, in my state here of Texas. We have this thing called Bluebell ice cream. So if you've never had it, uh, we need to introduce you to that. But uh, thank you seriously for just being with us and for sharing from the text. Uh, such good encouragement from the Word. Yeah, thank you for the invite. Thank you for listening to Counsel the Word. If you'd like more information about the ministry of Dr. Kevin Carson, you can go to his website at kevincarson.com. And for more information about the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, please visit the CBCD website at thecbcd.org.